When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Leah from the Mysterines and you're listening to Jay from the Hawk Rocks. Through the streets of Soho in the rain He was looking for the place called Lee Ho Fort Gonna get a big ditch of beef chow man Ah-hoo, well, was in London Around your kitchen door, you better not get him in. Little old lady got mutilated late last night. Werewolves of London again. I saw online today a poll that showed the majority of Americans agree with Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. And my only thought is, do we still live in a civilized society? I'm Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks. Welcome back. It's the Ultimate Rock Me podcast, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Great platform of music-related podcasts. We've got one of their hosts on joining me today, but I always do mention Martin Popoff, the rock historian. I mentioned Mistress Carrie out in Boston and my friends, my great friends, Tom and Zeus on the number one rated kiss podcast in the world, the shout out loudcast. So check out all those as, as well as others, as well as the guest that we have on here. And I will announce him shortly. Don't forget to follow The Hook Rocks wherever you do podcasts, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, or Google, Amazon. We're on every platform, so set your app to automatic download. So every time we drop a new episode, you get it right to your phone, and you can also enjoy the previous episodes. We've been doing this now for coming up on three years. We've 
got almost 360 episodes, so I'm sure there's something for everyone else to enjoy. We've had some great episodes over the last month, uh, great new music spotlights. We've had a band called Naked Gypsy Queens. We've had Fortune Child, as well as many others. We always try to promote new rock music because it's very vital and important to the genre. Did a couple music reviews in March, the Mammoth WVH show and Dirty Honey as well. They were both part of the same show and we reviewed both of them. So really enjoyed doing that. We had Ty Tabber on from King's X talking his new album, Shades, a very personal journey for him. So please check out that interview. We also did Scott Gorham in February uh, from Thin Lizzy, and he's talking about putting a collective together with musicians paying tribute to the band. Hopefully we'll see, be able to see that live later this year, early part of next year. And also too, don't forget to check out my interview with Gil Moore from the band Triumph, the great Canadian trio, the forgotten Canadian trio, as I always like to say, because everybody always talks about Rush. People forget how popular and how massive Triumph was in the late 70s to mid 80s. You know, albums like Allied Forces, Never Surrender, uh, Just the Game, and Thunder Seven which uh, was the great album in 1984. So check out that interview with Gilmore. Talked about the documentary, which I think everyone's going to be able to finally see it at some point this year, which is really, really uh, awesome because I think, you know, as bands do move on and, and, and music keeps moving forward, some bands do get forgotten. And nice to see that Triumph is back in the spotlight where people can begin to appreciate what they were and who they are and their music. And uh, please go check out that great interview with Gil. And we've got another fantastic episode for you today. Uh, Really happy to have this guest on. He is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. And he's on the show because we did a bracket challenge on our Twitter feed for 2022 March Madness we did the best albums of all time. Now, I picked 64 albums. I tried to do my best. I'm sure there's albums that, you know, I, we didn't have on that list. I tried to gear it more towards hard rock and heavy metal. And this gentleman here was the winner. I'd like to welcome in Mac from the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Mac, what's happening? What's going on? Hey Jay, uh, doing great. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks for doing the brackets. Yeah, that was fun. You know, I used to do these polls all the time when I first started on Twitter, and it was a way to help grow my followers. And as I dove more into the podcast, I started to move away from the brackets because you know what I found is social media numbers really don't dictate what your podcast numbers are going to be. Right. I mean, it's a whole different animal. It's a whole different style of platform. So you can have 10, 12, 15, 20 and beyond thousands of followers, but that doesn't mean they're going to listen. And when someone comes to your platform and they're voting and and they're following you because they like your your brackets that you're doing, that doesn't necessarily translate into listeners, as I found so I concentrate more on growing the podcast and I've moved away from the brackets, but I try to do one or two a year. And of course, March Madness, because of the NCAA basketball tournament is always a great time to do it. Everyone's doing a bracket challenge of some sort on or close to everyone on, on Twitter. 
So I thought it was fun. Last year I did best bands of all time. This year was best albums and okay. uh, some interesting picks uh, as you had many others had, um, but you were the winner. You beat Christy and Eagle by one point. One point. Uh, and you beat uh, Chris Preston from rock these tweets by three points. So those is that were the, right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Chris so you, is a friend. Chris has been on the show. Awesome. Uh, and he knows his stuff, you know, yeah. and he, he's great. He's fun to talk to. And so, uh, and he's going through a big Def Leppard phase right now with their new kick out and Adrenalize is having its 30th anniversary. He's always going he's through a Def Leppard phase. <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> he's a great friend of the show. He's been on here a few times too, as well. Love having his insight and his thoughts. Uh, great guest too. And Christy's been on. Christy's a great guest to really talk about the back end side of the music business. You know, NFTs, blockchain technology, mm-hmm. uh, cryptocurrency. She talks a lot about streaming. She does a lot of research. She's very well informed of what she's talking about. I always love doing those shows because it gives the other side of the coin when you're talking about the music business. It's not always about the music. A lot of times, it's that's why it's called a business. That's right. Um, but yeah. Well, that's fascinating. Um, yeah. Before we get into everything... Uh, we always ask the same first question every time we have a first-time guest on the show, and that is really what we're all about. Just like every rock song has a hook that pulls you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Yeah, so I had to give this some thought because it depends on how far you want to go back. And I thought as far as I can remember, if I go back way into when I was a little kid childhood, I just have this vivid memory. I was about four or so. So this is the seventies. I think my, my dad came home from work and he was just psyched. He was in a good mood. He wasn't like, you know, burly, uh, you know, rough week. I don't want to talk about it. He was like happy. So me and mom joined him in the den and we put on some of his old favorite records from like the fifties and the sixties. And one of them was Johnny B. Good by Chuck Berry. Uh, and I remember being four years old and taking the pillow and beating it like it was a drum. And my parents just thought it was crazy. I'm like, wow, this music, this rock and roll music is kind of fun, you know? So, uh, I mean, there's obviously other points. Like when I was a teenager, you know, when I heard Eruption for the first time by Van Halen. And that, you know, that changed my life as it did so many of us. Whenever it was for you, you know, for me, it was about 1987 or so. Yeah, obviously, I'm like, whoa. Rock guitar is the greatest sound in the whole world. I've got to get more of this. And then that's when I got into every great guitarist of all time. And I'm still trying to to this day. But if you want the real origin story, yeah, it's probably that night in 1977 in the den on the couch beating the pillow to Johnny Be Good. It's a great story. Uh, you know, Chuck Berry, as, as generations, you know, move forward and, and get older, you know, he's sort of become... A, a forgotten musician in the realm of guitar, you know, and I, and I'm guilty of this too. Whenever people make a greatest guitar list, right? Not a favorite because favorites different, uh, uh, a greatest guitar list. They never include Chuck Berry. Very rarely do All they right. include Chuck Berry. And, and, you know, he was really the first one to take that, that bluesy type style guitar, add some rockabilly to it and just, you know, make these crazy sounds on the guitar and, and create a crazy vibe, you know, kind of take that blues to the next level. You know, you think of bands like ACDC, which are a direct correlation to that influence of Chuck Berry, 
You know, if there's right. one band that really defines that influence, it's ACDC. You know, it's totally Chuck Berry. Um, and it, it's just, I, what was that one movie that he had? It was like a documentary of like a live show or live performances. Was it Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll? That was it. Yeah. Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll. Yeah. He did it in St. Louis. Keith Richards was kind of the yeah. producer and pseudo leader of the band. It was a great scene in there where Keith's like, well, I'm going to be playing lead while you sing lead vocals, right? He's like, no, I'll play. So well, you can't do both at the same time, can you? He's like, it's never been a problem before. <laughs> so, so sit down, Mr. Superstar Keith. You know, I, I get my gig. But Keith was trying to get him to sound good because for years, Chuck would not tour with a real band. It was like if they paid him 5000 a gig, but then he's got to pay his guys and he's got to pay their rooms and pay all that stuff. He's like, forget that. I'll take the five myself. We'll get a house band to play and I'll just play over him. And so Keith's like, we're going to make him sound good once and for all. And he assembled a killer crew for that night in St. Louis. That's, that's a great I never knew that about him not, uh, not wanting another musician outside of a house band to play with him. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, Chuck's like, I got to pay all those guys or I, I, they're coming to see Chuck Berry. They're not coming to see these other guys. Right. And I can I can dole out one thousand to me and four thousand for the guys at expenses or I can keep it all. So I guess that was just part of who Chuck was at some point. And, you know, if the guys came up and said, hey, man, I want more money. They say, great, I'll just go get a few more other guys. See, see you, fellas. You know, so that's Chuck. <laughs> It's a great uh, story too, you know, or, or, or a great time that you tell with when you discovered Eruption by Van Halen. Because I was young too. I would, th- I think I was like seven years old, and I had an older brother that would always okay. bring in new music. You know, a lot of people got their music from their older brother or an older cousin or whatever it was, and yeah. I would hear his friends and him talk about this band Van Halen. You know, and I'm still into, you know, Great Space Coaster and Courtship of Eddie's Father and the and the <laughs> Hulk TV series. You know, I wasn't, it was kind of not on my radar. But I, every time they would come over, they would talk about Van Halen. And I knew my brother had the album in his room. And I don't know if I was homesick one day from kindergarten or first grade, whatever it was. And he was at school and I, my mom was doing some cleaning and I took the record out of his room and I knew instinctively to put the headphones on. Because I knew what I was about to listen to, my mother probably would not approve of. So I right. put the big jack in the, in the turntable, and uh, I put the record on, and I, you know, I took her Barry Manilow record off. And uh, I remember laying on my back with my feet up on the piece of furniture where the turntable was, and hearing Running with the Devil, and I'm like, wow, this is so cool. And then hearing Eruption. Now, this was the Star Wars generation, spaceships and all that stuff. And I remember hearing this and I'm like, and I remember just going, what am I listening to? Like, what is this? I, I couldn't comprehend what was happening because I'd heard guitar players before. None of them sounded like this. So present day, Eddie Van Halen passes in October of 2020. I bring my son over to my mother's house who still lives in the same house that I grew up in. And we're wow. walking and I show him where I was laying when I first heard Van Halen and I'm like going like different angles, like, okay, you know, this is where it happened. Like we're in a museum. Like we're looking at like an artifact of a a piece of, of carpet where I laid and heard Van Halen one an eruption for the first time. My son's looking at me like, is there something wrong with you? I'm like, no, this is where it happened. This is where I first heard Van Halen. 
So I always love it when people speak about that because it brings back a lot of memories of my own experience with hearing eruption at, you know, for the first time. Well, you count yourself lucky because I, you know, I think I was five when it came out. Obviously I missed it. You know, C is for cookie was probably my favorite song when, when it came <laughs> out, you know, so I missed it. But then, you know, as a child of the MTV generation with 1984 comes out and Panama and jump and hot for teacher all over MTV for over a year, you know, it's like, okay, that's Van Halen. That's what I know. But then it was still a few more years. I mean, then they got Sammy in the band at 5150 and there was a couple of years before I even heard eruption because they didn't play it on the radio that much. Eventually rock radio did start playing it. I feel like in the late eighties, but not much in like the mid eighties. So when I first heard, I'm like, why have they been keeping this from me? You know, why would they play Panama all the time? Which I still love, but if it not show us this, this is amazing. Who else can do this? You know, and then you go to something like Cathedral, which again, you're like, is that even a guitar? I thought it was a keyboard solo the first 10 times I heard it because you can't make a guitar sound like that, right? I thought it was a violin. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, anything but a guitar, right? Yeah. I mean, because there's, you know, when he's, when he's playing, I'm like, is that, is that a violin? Is that an orchestral instrument? I, I'm like, what is he doing? So, and then I saw him play it live and I'm like, oh, that's how he does that. You know, with the knob, the volume knob on the, on the guitar. Mm-hmm. But uh, where did it go from there? You know, you mentioned Chuck Berry, you mentioned Van Halen. I know you talk a lot about Prague on your, on your, uh, on your podcast. Where did your musical journey develop? Where did it go? Yeah. So Prague didn't come along till uh, quite recently, uh, actually, you know, last eight, or so years, although there were some bands and prog songs or albums that I always kind of liked. I, I didn't even hear the term prog until maybe 10 years ago or something like that. Um, but, you know, it was, it was kind of starting around the eighth grade when I just started to realize what's on pop radio, what's on a lot of the MTV, that's not great. It's, it's not all historic, legendary music. It's, some of it's not that good either. I was always kind of a rock and roll guy. And so I, so I wanted to just find what my music really was. So, you know, I'd had Synchronicity by the Police, listened to that front and back a thousand times. So I said, all right, well, those guys are good. Maybe they've got some other things that I need to hear, you know. So I go out and pick out a Zenyatta Mondata and, and go through that and explore that. And then we started getting to the age of CDs when I was in high school in 87. And I just had a couple of buddies who, who had CD collections before I did. So a buddy of mine had Hot Rocks. 64 to 71. He could put it on a Maxell 90 minute cassette on both sides, right? You know, and start to work my way through those Stone songs. I'm like, wow, it's not just satisfaction. And listen to this song, Give Me Shelter. This is haunting, weird thing, and it's amazing. It's like, well, you like Led Zeppelin, right? I'm like, I don't know if I really know Led Zeppelin. Well, listen to this. This is Led Zeppelin 4. Like, oh my God, this is amazing. You know, so I, mean, I think my first CDs were Led Zeppelin 1 and uh, what's the live one? Uh, song remains the same. You know, and not too long after that, I got physical graffiti. And the thing is, we talk about this on our show in 87, 88, a CD was 15 or 16 bucks, which in yeah. today's dollars is like 40 bucks or more, which is a lot for a record. Right. So I just kind of had this thing. It, it had to be CD worthy for me to buy it. I couldn't just take a flyer like, oh, this might be good. I'll get it. If it was one of those, I might get it on tape. But so for me to get a CD, it had to be the Who's Greatest Hits, right? Uh, who's Better, Who's Best. It had to be Creedence Clearwater's 20 Greatest Hits. You know, it had to be Van Halen 1. It had to be something amazing. And then once you get it, 
you listen to it front and back and upside down and over and over because you've made this investment. Now you've got to absorb all this. So, and that's when I got into the Beatles a little bit. And then everything just kind of blossomed from there. That's interesting you say that because I think we all, all music fans go through that same journey where, you know, you become a fan, however you become a fan of rock music, right? You have that moment and then you start to listen to stuff. You, you know, your friends are making you tapes of everything and you're getting mm-hmm. exposed to all this, all these things. And then you start to purchase money or start, start to purchase music consistently with your own money. Right. And when you're a kid, whether you have a paper route or you're working a stock job at the grocery store, you know, money only goes so far. Right. So you like you said, yeah, it had to be a worthy. I mean, I used to love those stations at some record stores where you could like preview the album. You know, this was kind Mm -hmm, of like the streaming service before the streaming service where you could preview something. So you go there and you listen to it. But, you know, I never like to really read reviews, but I did go through that period when I really dove into CDs, like you said, and only was buying the classics, the people that or the, the music that people raved about or designated as one of the all time great albums. And that was probably my late teens, early twenties that I kind of did that. And then after that, I started to go deeper into a lot of different catalogs of music. You know, I started to go really deep into the Beatles, started to go really deep into stones. I mean, you mentioned that satisfaction. Every kid knew satisfaction. Every kid knew start me up, right? And then you hear, you know, Midnight Rambler, you know, or Give Me Shelter. And then when you get Exile on Main Street and you hear Loving Cup, you know, you have that moment like, wow, this is, why is this not on a greatest hits? This is like one of their best songs ever, you know? So, you know, you hear the the title track to Let It Bleed, um, which is a fantastic song. And I love those moments. I love when a great album is, is you, you know, it's great, but then you, you discover a new song or you rediscover the whole album. And whether you're in your late teens, twenties, thirties, I love when that album grows with you and evolves with you. And because how many times have you had that experience where you listen to an an album and there are a couple of tracks you weren't too crazy about. Right. And then 10 years later, you got it in your car, you're listening to it and you hear the songs. I'm like, wow, this is a good song. Like, how come I so bad? Are they? Yeah. And I love that moment. I mean, that's such a, a treasure when that happens, because then you're listening to the album all over again. You're rediscovering it. You're noticing things that you you didn't hear before because your ear is becoming more trained on music. That's I, I love that evolution of music and how it, can, it continues to do that. Yeah, and we, we talk about that on the show, on our show, because most of what we do are album reviews, uh, mm-hmm. and a lot of them around their anniversaries, a 30th, 40th, 50th, or, you know, just, yeah. we want to talk about something that we liked in college. Background on the show is I do it with my old college roommate, Action Jackson. We, we met at college in Florida. We were roommates freshman and sophomore year, uh, and we bonded over rock music. I'm pretty sure that's why they put us together, because we check classic rock on our, our likes, our interests, you know, when fill out the roommate card. Um, but yeah, it was, it was something we got to do together and we found a used CD store right across the street from the college. So instead of paying $15, maybe now you can pay seven and you can pick up Kiss Alive 2 for 12 bucks used instead of 30 bucks brand new, right? So we could take some flyers on some things. And plus I had someone, he would buy his stuff. I would buy my stuff, but we could listen to them all together and really see what we were into. And we've been having a blast on the show. Look, these are, 
conversations we would like to have over the last 25, 30 years. Just now we record them and let other people listen in, you know? Right. Um, right. So, and, and, and we've grown apart. We, we kind of didn't talk for, a, you know, a number of years there, not because we didn't like each other, just we're not social media guys and we don't write letters. We, we barely read letters. So, you know, we, 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 and we don't talk on the phone, you know, but it kind of was born out of COVID, right? Suddenly I'm living in London. I don't have any family over here. I'm just starting to make friends because we're early in our tenure over here. So I'm zooming back home with a lot of people. And I would, I just would get on with Jackson and it'd be five minutes of, you know, how's your family or your parents? Okay. You know, you doing the homeschool thing. And then it was an hour of, have you listened to Selling England by the Pound by Genesis? When was the last time that you listened to Women and Children First by Van Halen? You know, and then we decided, okay, well, we could do this once a week. Let's do this together. And then I realized this is the show because I wanted to make a, a podcast from before I came over here. I came up with a name three years ago, but I wasn't sure what I was going to do it on. And then once I, once it was Jackson and me riffing together, because we could do a thousand of these shows. I'm like, this is it. This is the show. This is all I want to talk about anyway. I'm along the same lines too, as well. I started the podcast because I love talking music since I was a teenager. You know, I worked at a grocery store when I was in high school and, you know, we would be working about always talking about music, you know, the latest video on MTV or I can't wait till this concert. You know, when you, when you used to tack the, the tickets on your bulletin board in your room and you'd wait like every day and you know, one day closer to that show, you know, and we would talk about the show we saw last night or, you know, we had this place called the Rosemont Horizon and outside of Chicago. It's now the Allstate Arena. And, you know, we go there and we would see these shows to, to you know, to and talk about. I love talking music. And I got into this because and I mentioned this before. My son was getting older. He's becoming a teenager. He's becoming more independent, which he should. And the choice was either, you know, find a girlfriend or start a podcast. And I decided to start a podcast. Um and then COVID came and I started doing episodes like once a day because everything was shut down and right. like, well, you know, I might as well just do this. Maybe someone will start, you know, maybe people will listen and people started to really listen and, and, and the show started to really grow. And, um, but yeah, talking music is, you know, whether it's at a bar, whether it's at, you know, around a, uh, a bonfire or at a barbecue, yeah. um, it always comes up and I always enjoy it. And, I like talking with like-minded people on it too. They can talk music and have a different perspective because no perspective is ever wrong. Uh, and it's always interesting to see how people got there, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's fun, you know, and I don't, I, I don't have to know uh, your girlfriend or, you know, uh, a wife or even family members to know. I know that sometimes you go down talking about your music rabbit holes and you get eye rolls and you get a, uh huh, you know, and it's, they're still your friends and they're still your family, but like, okay, he's doing it again. He's talking about some <laughs> obscure seventies band that nobody's heard of before, you know, and I, I know how it is. We all do. All huge rock fans who love to talk about this stuff. The people who listen to your show, the people who come on your show, the people who filled out your brackets. Those people know what it's like to have, you know, even people who they love just don't get it or they just don't want to hear it the way we want to talk to it about it, you know, with each other. So uh, I, I feel you there. And although I hope you do find love, I think you made a great choice uh, <laughs> creating the podcast. Yes, I think so too. I, I think uh, it's definitely become a great, great hobby. To talk music, um, you know, talking, you, you know, obscure bands. I had uh, Michael DeBar on, and we talked about the band Detective. Uh, oh yeah, was, uh, Swan was, Song. Yeah, on the Swan Song record label with Zeppelin, 
And I love that album. And I think maybe zero of my friends know who that band is. <laughs> They're like, who's the right? Band? Yeah. You know, and, and I also like talking new music too. Like there's so many great new bands that are out there um, that I always try to explore and have new music spotlights to kind of shine a light on, on who's coming up and who sounds really good. And I, I, I and that really kind of keeps the batteries charged for me too. When, yeah, I love Zeppelin. They're my favorite band. I love ACDC. I love Rush. I love Van Halen, but I love getting charged up on the new music. I think it's, it's so important. Well, that's good for you, you know, because sometimes I just find it, I have a hard time finding it just because of the, you know, the pace of life and all responsibilities. You know, it's work, family, kids, whatever you have to do. Uh, and then, okay, now I've got a little bit of free time. Do I need to spend an hour to take a chance on some band I don't know? Or can I put in something that I know I love, which is going to put me in a good mood and wash, you know, the, the day off of me without, you know, six beers, you know, I just right. listen to this for 30 minutes and feel a lot better. So um, I appreciate that. And it, it just seems to me that I know a lot of people saying rock is dead for years. And I feel like over the last 15 years, it's been a little bit of a dip, but I feel like we're coming up with a lot of great new folks, a lot of great new bands out there that are starting to push their way onto the scene from what I can see. And it's exciting. I agree a hundred percent. I think before the pandemic, things looked very, very frustrating uh, in terms of where rock was going, but who would have thunk that during a pandemic rock would see a rise. And I think that's because there was a lot of angst build up. And I think people need rock when there's a lot of angst that it's always been there for people like that. There's a great scene in the UK. There's a great scene in, in England for a lot of new bands um, if you ever need any, you know, recommendations on who to check out for UK bands that are out there and go see, definitely, um, you know, can, can, can send you a few bands your way, but, uh, okay, no, it's, yeah. it's, I totally get it. You know, like when you do have the, the daily stresses of life and, you know, you want something to comfort you after that stressful day or ever, you know, all that stuff in your mind, you, you go with what's familiar. You want some familiar friends. Like, you know, and exactly. music has become your friend. So I totally get it, especially as we get older, you want that familiarity. It's, you know, it's, you're, you're taking less of a risk. And I understand where people were come from. And let's face it, too. New rock bands don't need us. You know, right. they need the young people, too. They need as the well. kids, That's yeah. the most important thing. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the bracket challenge, the winner, Mac is the winner of the bracket challenge for the Hook Rocks. Um it was interesting, interesting selecting these albums. I tried not to do any more than two of a specific artist because I didn't want anything to get clogged up because you could probably just pick six bands and you can fill up pretty much 80% of a bracket if you did that. That's right. Some, some unique things about this bracket, uh, this bracket challenge. No one in the top five picked the actual winner of Van Halen one. Really? Yes. No one in the top five picked Van Halen one as the winner. That's shocking. Um, some surprises. I was surprised that Pyromania beat Permanent Waves, uh, but it did. Not that I'm surprised because Pyr- Pyromania is a great album, but because Rush fans are very dedicated to trying to win every poll. And right. for, whatever, <laughs> for whatever reason, they didn't show up in the early rounds. Uh, and they didn't show up in the late rounds too as well, but Pyromania was the winner. 
I just looking down at the I got bracket. That one. You did. You did. I did. As big a Rush fan as I am, I'm like, look, Pyromania. I, I love Permanent Waves, but Pyromania was game changer. So yeah, had to. It totally was. The other big surprise on this bracket was how well Shout at the Devil by Motley Crue did. It beat Sticky Fingers, which I couldn't believe. Heresy. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Heresy. I mean, you know, come on, guys. I'm like, I'm like, Sticky Fingers is better than Exile on Main Street, in my opinion. And Exile on Main Street ended up going on. And then it beat Toys from Aerosmith, Toys in the Attic. Right. And then it beat Exile on Main Street. And I was like, what is happening? Like, it. It was it was crazy. It finally got knocked out by Led Zeppelin four, which I would have been like completely disheveled if that. (laughs) Like what what is happening to the world right now? Dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. (laughs) And 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 let's face it, Shout the Devil was one of the albums when I was a kid that really connected with me. One of the one of the albums of of my young generation of my youth, and it is a great album. But is it better than Sticky Fingers? Uh, is it better than Toys well, in the Attic? Is it better than Exile on Main Street? <laughs> I mean, I'm talking like, you know, Mount Rushmore type albums. And uh, maybe it didn't deserve a 14 seat. Maybe it did need to be a little bit higher up there. But yeah, I picked Sticky over it and I picked Toys over Sticky and I picked Exile over Toys. Thinking, well, these are fairly easy choices for me. As great as those are, it, those are pretty easy choices for me to make. And when I saw the Shadow of the Devil, I'm like, well, okay, I'm not the only one who didn't get that one. So yeah. I don't feel that bad. I think there was one person who picked it over, over, um, Sticky fingers, but then no one picked it over the next round with toys. And the majority oh, okay. of people picked toys. So nobody, nobody really had that. And that was a bracket buster for a lot of people. Uh, in fact, it knocked about a good half dozen people out of it, you know? Um, and I, I couldn't believe it. I thought for sure, like, all right, I'll lose this round. Okay, it'll lose the next round. And it just kept right. going. And then, like I said, you know, when I saw it matched up against Led Zeppelin 4, I was like, this can't happen. It can't, can't, no is it going to beat Led Zeppelin 4? I mean, really? And it didn't. But it still had a respectable showing. I still think it got like 30% of the votes, which uh, which the, was pretty impressive. Final 4 versus Led Zeppelin 4. Yeah, that is that is impressive. Yeah. yeah. So all the power to the crew. Are you going to see them? Uh, on the Def Leppard Stadium tour, that's been I am rescheduled not. half a dozen times. <laughs> I am not. Um, couple thoughts on that. I was really excited for the tour after the Dirt. Right, the Dirt, uh-huh. you know, really brought back a lot of memories. Brought back, you know, a, a lot of uh, you know emotional journeys, music journeys that I had when I was younger. My son and his friends. This is like their fast times at Ridgemont High. Nice. So my son wanted to see it. I wanted to see it. It's at Wrigley, which I'm not a big fan of because the sight lines are horrible at Wrigley. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, do I want to spend all this money and really not enjoy it? And I'm thinking, well, Milwaukee's only about an hour and 10 away from me. Maybe I'll go up to Milwaukee. Then it got postponed. It got postponed again. And I just can't justify at the end of the day spending that money to hear Vince Neil 
completely <laughs> like sound horrible. I mean, I understand. I, I mean, I've seen Motley Crue. I saw them with White Snake when I was younger. I saw them with the Stars and Guitars tour. I think it was with Tesla and a lot of other bands. I, I, I think I saw them at the House of Blues after their uh, their Generation Swine album. So I've seen okay. them a few times. And my son was really excited. Him and his friends were really excited too to see him as well. And you know, he was like, eh, "I don't want to go see him." He's like, "I'm like, I don't want to go see if, if Vince Neil is going to perform like that." And I don't think we're the only ones that think that. I think you're right. Yeah. I, I think you're right about that. Yeah. And I, it, it, for me, it wouldn't be to see Motley Crue. I would go see Def Leppard again because it's been since the Adrenalize tour. And we've made friends with a guy named Neil who runs uh, Def Lep Pod. Yeah. He lives in Liverpool and he's a great podcast, Def Lep Pod. He's buddies with Chris too. Uh, and, uh, and I'm like, Wait. and then it turns out that they're playing Jacksonville, Florida. Which is near where Jackson, my my co-host, Action Jackson lives. I've got a house uh, just north of of uh, Jacksonville on the coast, uh, and I was thinking, how great would it be? And it's right around the Fourth of July, which is when I usually go down there anyway. So I'm like, what if we got Neil over? We got Chris to fly down, and then the two of us, all four of us, went to see Def Leppard together. How awesome would that be? Um, but. You know, I, I I might be moving around that time, not to mention it'll probably be 100 degrees at that show. And I, I don't know if I want to be out with 50,000 North Floridians when it's 100 degrees and they've been drinking all day. So I'm like, eh, we, we might miss that one this year. Yeah, I, um, I hope the tour does well. And I agree with you. I'd like to see Def Leppard again. I'd like to see them kind of on their own or, or maybe in a smaller, you know, scale um, I mean, yeah, I'm sure they'll probably still play stadiums or arenas, but that's a long day when you consider there's three other bands. Classless Act is the newer band that was on there that replaced Tuck Smith, who was originally going to okay. open it up. And I love Tuck Smith and Classless Act is a really good band too, as well. They're a Southern California band. Um, but then you got Joan Jett, you got Poison. It's a long day. And Chicago, okay. like Florida, gets really humid in the summer. And I could picture myself after a couple hours, like, all right, let's go. <laughs> like, go. I'm, dri- yeah. I'm dripping with sweat standing still. This is not fun. Let's, let's just go. I'm with you. I'm with you. What was the most difficult choice with your bracket? Hmm. That is a fair question. And it, it probably is one that I just, it wasn't even one of the first rounders and some of those were really hard. Uh, but it was in the final, in the elite eight, I had back in black versus moving pictures. And I do believe that those two did square off in the elite eight. Yes. And it was pretty close, uh, closer than it should have been. And I picked moving pictures over back in black. And an hour later, I went back and looked at my bracket just to take a look. What did I do by the way? And I'm like, I pick moving pictures over back in black. I'm an idiot. I love Rush at all, but I think I think I had some kind of. I was trying to play the game a little bit at that point. Like you know, some people will tell you Highway to Hell is ACDC's best record over back in black, but the majority of people, especially casual fans, all say you know what's Rush's best record? Well, it's moving pictures. So I just figured that would take the vote instead of saying well. What is it? Which one I couldn't live without? If it's you had to choose, one's going to go away forever and keep one. Is that what game are we playing here? Um, and so I'm like, you know, I just 
in an hour, I could have been vastly different. I could have come in like 58th place, depending on what I put there. But I did have a hard time with um, – uh, which one was it? Pyromania in Permanent Waves wasn't actually that difficult for me. But, um, but even moving pictures versus Ace of Spades, which was like a 2 versus a 15 seed. Like I can make a case for Ace of Spades. But I'm like, nah, it won't win. But it could – yeah, but you know, so in the end, I went with moving pictures. But there's a couple really good ones on there. I mean, it must be tough to seed these things, right? I mean, it's not like one's 32 and one this year, and one's 18 and 16 in the worst conference in the land. You know, it's a little, it's a little more difficult just to figure out what people would really think. Yeah, I did get some comments on social media, like, "Well, this should be a, a number one seed," and I respond, "Okay, which one are you taking out?" Exactly. Which one of the number one seeds are you, are you taking out? You taking Dark Side of the Moon? You taking Abbey Road? You taking Physical Graffiti? Taking Back in Black? Which one are you replacing? And it's not like you know, we kind of morphed in this society where if like if something is not high up, but it's still ranked, it means you don't like it as much. There are sixty four albums in the history of rock and hard rock and metal that I chose. Sixty four. And it's really hard to do. It's like, it's yeah, really hard to do. So it's not like I didn't like an album that maybe didn't make it. It's just, who do you take out? And I, I also, you know, was it flawed? Sure. You, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll pony up and I'll say, yeah, it was flawed because I wanted to have enough representation from the seventies, from the eighties and into the nineties mm-hmm. too, as well, you know, because as sure. much as a lot of rock fans don't like the grunge era, um, it was necessary to include those four bands, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, and Nirvana in this list, because whatever you do think of them, they did have an impact on music. And those albums did have an impact on music. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, a couple of the ones that were probably pretty closest for me were you had an eight, nine journey escape versus Aerosmith rocks. Uh, and Journey Escape is one that I loved growing up, but Rocks is one I found later in life and is pretty badass. So I, I went with Rocks over Escape and a narrow one. I'll tell you one that was less difficult for me, but it was kind of a big upset, was Appetite for Destruction is a three seed, Hysteria by Def Leppard's a 14. And I took Hysteria knowing that it probably wouldn't win. But I just said, you know what? Honestly, you say you can listen to either one of those right now. I want to listen to Stereo right now. And maybe that's Chris and Neil's influence on me. I don't know. But uh, that's that's a tough call for anybody, I think, especially of our age. Yeah. And to, and to kind of move that forward, I thought Appetite would win just because I know how people are so connected to it. But I was surprised that the wall on the next round didn't do as good as I thought it would. I didn't think it would. I, I, I thought it would be close. I thought Appetite would win in the end, but I didn't think it would be it'd lose by as much as it did. I think it was like 15, that's the thing. 20%. I, was that right? Because I, I, I missed some of the, I could go back and look yeah. at them all, but I missed some of the final tally, so I wasn't sure which one. Went. Yeah, I had Wall over Hysteria, and I would have taken Wall over, over Appetite. Mm-hmm. Um Huge album, but uh, thank God I took Van Halen one over Wall because that went all the way. That was another uh, consideration too. Like Pink Floyd was one of the, the the difficult bands to choose the two, right? You know, Dark Side and the Wall are so much 
are so recognizable, but I could have had animals in there. I could have had wish you were here as well. Um, but I felt dark side, you know, being on what the billboard charts for as many years as it was, and it had to be a number one seed. And then the wall, because I think when I was younger, you know, hearing another brick and a wall part two on the radio was such an impact for me too, as well. And I think everybody recognized that song. So it's a concept album. And that was also too, is with, with, uh, with Quadrophenia and Tommy, mm-hmm. I could have gone with either one for the who. Um, and I chose my, one of the rare occasions on this bracket where I kind of went with my personal choice, which is Quadrophenia over Tommy. Gotcha. Um, but I could have, I could have chosen Tommy, um, you know, as well. And who's next, of course, had to be on there. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I mean, a lot of these we've done shows on, we've only done 70 shows, but we're doing not only some of the greatest albums of all time, but albums we loved, right? Albums that spoke to us. And yeah, that this is an amazing list. I mean, you want to nitpick and say, this shouldn't be on there or you miss this. That's all personal choice, man. You know, and, or maybe you want to go by sales. Well, sales don't dictate greatness. I mean, they right. could have just caught fire. Yeah. Right? Or I mean, they just had David Geffen behind them, whatever, you know? Right. I mean, if sales, you know, dictated greatness, you know, Britney Spears would be one of the greatest artists of all time, you know? So, right. you know, I always learned at a young age, whatever the masses like doesn't necessarily mean what is the best. Uh, and Van Halen Absolutely. was a, was a tough choice. Not Van Halen one, but. Women and Children first, I chose over 1984, even though 1984 is probably more recognizable. Um, I chose Women and Children first in large part because of the impact that and the credible rock had on me when I was a kid. That gotcha. was a huge, huge, uh, you know, it's being, being in a young kid in grade school here. And have you heard juniors grades was like the coolest thing ever, you know, when you're 10 <laughs> years old, 11 years old. So, I, yeah, I could have very well chosen 1984 on that. Um, you know, physical graffiti, Led's up on four. I could have, you know, Led's up on two was in the conversation in my head on that too sure. as well. Uh, yeah, it was, you know, 2112. I could have put in there instead of, of permanent waves. That was another one. So it, yeah, it was tough. It was, it was, it was crazy tough. It was, <laughs> and well, I, even, hey, look, I almost put complaints. What's that? I was gonna say anyone who complains, Tell them to create their own bracket and they can do the polls yeah. on Twitter, right? You oh, know, yeah, everyone's it's got to be opinion. personal to you somewhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you mentioned Escape. Escape has a personal uh, is a personal story for me as well. I've mentioned how I discovered music was through my grandfather, who was a lounge piano player back in the day of the speakeasies in Chicago. So he used cool. to play for all the mobsters and all that stuff. And when I would stay overnight there when I was a kid, he would wake up on a Saturday morning or Sunday morning and he would play the piano in the basement and it would just shake the whole house. I mean, he was a booming piano player. So wow. piano was the first instrument that I had ever heard. And then when my brother, probably a year and a half later, a couple of years later, brought home, borrowed an album, a vinyl of Escape from Journey, he put it on my mother's turntable again, hit the, you know, put the needle on it and heard Don't Stop Believing, which was the first track. And of course, the piano is the intro. And I'm like, oh, I know that instrument. That sounds really cool. So Escape has a has a huge is a huge presence in my life. That album really set the journey, no pun intended. Um, you know, for for me, me, I intended to do that a little bit. Uh, uh, set the journey for me. Uh, now that's cool. Did you have the the Escape? Uh, 
Atari cartridge for the old 2600? Was it Atari or was it in television? Well, I know they had one on Atari. I assume they made one for both. I know I had it. I don't know if I had it because we had the Atari and then somehow we got in television. So I don't know if we had it for in television or Atari. Um, but yes, gotcha. we did have it. That was, uh, that was a cool thing too. Bands should have just, more video games these days, right? Yes, they should. Absolutely. Totally Not just rock band either. You know, they could have shoot them up space invader video nice. games. I mean, you didn't even have to play the game. You just pop it in the carpet and starts making the music. You're like, yeah, you can just kind of watch the demo like player one. You could just do that for 15 minutes. Right. Imagine having like a Zeppelin video game, Led Zeppelin, the Misty Mountain Hop. You got to like go through these battles to the Misty Mountains. Something like that. Sweet. That'd be Good awesome, idea. right? <laughs> yes, I'm in. Or 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 you do something with like cashmere. You go to Journey to Cashmere and you've got to deal with all like oh. these things and challenges and stuff like that. Oh man. You know? That, that. I'm in. I'm in. And I don't play many video, games, video you, game. Oh, tell me that would sell a trillion copies. Yeah, Seriously. absolutely. We're sitting on gold right now. We're, we should be millionaires. <laughs> <laughs> it really should be, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, yeah, bands should make more video games. I 100% agree with that. Were they the only one? Did anyone else have a video game? Well, that's what I was just trying to think. I mean, who else would have done that? I mean, even getting movies, video games was so brand new at that point. Everyone's heard like the E.T. story about how they basically wrote the code in like six weeks and usually six months is a quick video game, right? You know, it's like they, they just figured out, Hey, if we attach this to a movie, to another property or to another form of entertainment, it will get crossover and we'll get more stuff. So I, I feel like journey was alone in that. There's probably some Atari heads out there who know differently, but I, to the best of my knowledge, they were the only one. Yeah, I think so too. I, I don't know of, and I'm surprised more, artists did not capitalize on that too, especially, you know, with the, you know, the invention of the video game around that time and seeing the success that they had. I mean, let's face it, the music business is, uh, is more or less a clone of what everyone's doing. That's successful. You know, like right. if someone's doing this, the record companies will sign 10 bands that do the same thing, you know, right. and I'm surprised more, you know, maybe it was just the development or the time, or I don't know how much it costs to do it back then. Well, you know, Iron Maiden has had a lot of success with their Ed Hunter video game. Yeah. But, but Iron Maiden's kind of unique, and they've got the character of Eddie and then all the different Eddie characters over the years that you can fold into the game, I guess. So, so it kind of lends itself to a supernatural or even comic booky kind of experience. That's why the writing on the wall video that was animated was so incredible, because it, it fits in well with their image. It fits in well with the look and everything they've cultivated over the years for some people. I mean, how would the Eagles do it? You know, you know that, that I don't know how they would do it. I mean, I'm not going to get into the Foo Fighters with their movie right now because we're all still trying to get over the whole Taylor Hawkins thing. But um, yeah, I, I would like to see more bands doing that, but not every band I don't think lends themselves naturally to a video game kind of experience. The Eagles uh, video game would be Winslow, Arizona, like Grand Theft Auto version. <laughs> I think it would just be backstage after the show, like Glenn Fry's 
beating up Don Felder and Don Henley's <laughs> yelling at a promoter and Tim sitting in the corner like, I don't know if I like this. And Joe's drunk. You know, I think that would be the sh- that's what I would want to see from the Eagles, right? Joe Walsh is removing wallpaper in his hotel room with John Belushi. Yes, exactly. They got their jeans spray painted black, you know, they're, they're looking good. As we you know, dive into this and, and we talk about this, I guess the question I have for you, I mean, obviously songs are important, but what, what makes an album a legendary album, a classic album? Mm. Yeah, I guess if we all have the answer to that, we all be out making them. Right. Um, it, it, there's a lot of factors that go into it. Obviously great songwriting and great musicianship, but it usually has to come at a certain point in time, not only for the band, but for their genre of music. Like physical graffiti is great. If you listen to it today, if someone came out with physical graffiti today, it probably wouldn't have the same impact that it did in like 1976. Right. Uh, You know, so it, it has to be of a moment not only for the individual members of the band, what they're going through in their lives, where their musicianship is, who they have around them, as far as the other kind of guest stars or people in their lives, but also kind of where their genre of music is at an, an ebb or wherever. Metallica hit huge with the Black Album because it was at just the right time where grunge was coming out with a harder sound, but we still, there's a lot of classic hard rock around. And though it uh, alienated some of the really super hardcore fans who wanted to make master of puppets uh, or, or uh, justice for all too, just because it came out when it did, it was a lot bigger than if that had come out in 1988 or if that had come out in 1995. Yeah, I, I I agree. You know, songs are important. The time and the moment is important. Uh, the way it makes the listener feel, how it grabs the listener. Uh, sequencing is so important to, so to important. an album. Very important. How many times have you listened to an album and you're like, why is this song smack dab in the middle of this album? It should be at the end um, or wherever yeah. it should be. But that's important too. Um, also, Album cover, you know, is really sure. know, defines that 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 artistic work that brings you like, oh, what's this? This looks really cool, or it's defining. You know, like how many times have you looked at an album that doesn't have the band name or the album name on it, but you know what that album is because of that iconic imagery? Uh, production matters. I also think, and this might be a tad bit controversial. I also think it it depends on people saying uh, the mass of people saying how great it is right because that that changes your mindset that changes your approach to listening to it um there are so many great albums that are out there that don't get nearly enough notoriety and you're like why is this you know it's because people have never talked about it people have never written an article about it and right. or or told you how great it is. You're basically defining it as great because you listen to it. And I think that matters a lot too as well. Popularity and then what does translate into sales it absolutely matters. And it can matter how big of a machine you have behind you for that kind of thing. Absolutely. And that's why sometimes we like to do more obscure records like uh, the Church Starfish or the Cult Love 
because how many, you know, we did Exile on Main Street, but how many shows are there on Exile on Main Street? Everybody knows right. Exile. Everybody knows Led Zeppelin 4, right? Mm-hmm. So it's good to pick out these that I think, you know, they're good from start to finish. There's no clunkers on there. You can listen to it as a whole concept. You might need a single to get you in the door, to get you to, to be curious about it all. But you have to be able to listen to the thing as a whole. And that's what I like a lot more than a single or a greatest hits album. Not that greatest hits albums don't have their place and it's a great way to get into a band you don't know very well. But it, that should be what is the taste. That's the appetizer. And then you've got to go out and find where's the real meat, where are the real albums, and where is that moment in time where everything was clicking on all cylinders, all members of the band, the production, like you say, the album art and all that kind of thing. But also... Yeah, the right moment in time for music, and they have the machine behind them to get them on MTV in the 80s or to get them on rock radio or to get them on the right tool, whatever it is that helps break them and get that press so that people then hear it and remember it and want to talk about it forever. It's a little bit of magic that I'm sure everyone would love to know the exact formula. For sure. I find it frustrating when bands like the Beatles, as we move forward with generations starting to listen to music when I see on social media, the Beatles are overrated. Um, <laughs> start, you know, Sergeant Pepper is not that good of an album. And it's usually okay. younger people who, who say this uh, because they don't understand the impact that the Beatles had. They don't understand the music, what it meant to all genres of rock music, Right whether it's Prague, whether it's thrash, whether it's hard rock metal, there is always somewhere an element of the Beatles that is, that is influenced that sound, that arrangement. You talk about the experimentation that started in the back half of their career and what that meant sonically to albums and the songwriting structure that Mm -hmm. has been followed for thousands of bands. Um, they were proggy. They were hard rock. Absolutely. They were yeah. rock and roll. And, and oh, they're pop music. Sure, we can define them now as having some pop elements. But back in the late 60s, mid, mid to late 60s, they were, they were hard rock. They had long hair. Well, they, you know, kids today, you know, they don't know a world without the Beatles. And, and, and it's, they've always been there. And every other band that was influenced by the Beatles, they've always been there. And everything their parents listened to, they've always been there, right? And, and so, you know, I, I, was, I was ready to go off on this kid in a Jimmy John's one day because he was back behind the counter. He's talking to the other kids. And he wasn't like one of the smart kids who like gets to make the sandwiches or ring the register. He's like the one who's cleaning up. And so he's the one who's got the most to say, right? And he was popping off about how Led Zeppelin sucks. And I'm like, yeah, I understand why you think Led Zeppelin sucks because you probably listen to rock radio and they only play about four or five Led Zeppelin songs, two or three of which really aren't their best songs. You know, there's so many more in there. And I understand why you don't get it um, because all of your music, there's been like six different generations of influence between when that came out yeah. and all the bands that have come and gone after to get to whatever junk you're listening to today. So it's not your fault. The American education system and rock radio have failed you. Um, but it's it's like, it would be like saying, I like books, but I, I hate Dr. Seuss. I'm like, you have to start somewhere. And the Beatles are like the ABCs. They, may, they don't have to be your favorite band, and you don't have to listen to them all day, but you have to understand that every band that you liked or every in, band that influenced the bands you like 
owe a huge debt to the Beatles. They wouldn't be here without them. Right. I mean, we, that's a whole separate discussion of what they meant and, and all their influences from their harmonies, from their songwriting, song structure, the experimentation sonically. I mean, it's all there. And the other band, too, that I find gets doesn't get enough credit as more generations start to voice their opinions and listen to music is the Stones. You know, the Stones, are a, blues, the Stones are a blues ripoff. Yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> You're exactly. 100% right. But they're awesome at doing it, right? They're awesome at paying, you know, you know, tribute to those blues artists that came before them, whether it's Muddy Waters or Howlin' Wolf or everything, you know. No band does more with three chords than ACDC. No band. Yeah, no, yeah, it's tuned down. You're right. It's not tuned up in the open E or open G tune, anything like that. It's tuned way down. You're right. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing all of it together. Can you hear the bass? Can you hear what the rhythm section's doing on the different songs? It's unbelievable. Right. That's the untrained ear. The, you know, that's right. that's the soundbite kids, the the clickbait kids. You know, that you know. Let's not worry about them because they're not even listening to our shows, right? We're we're too well, we're way too out there for them. <laughs> you know, my my you know the point is 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 my son plays guitar and he had an audition for the school rock house band. And one of the songs he had to do was Thunderstruck. Cool. And he's like, Dad, the easy part is the intro. He's right. like, Malcolm, Malcolm's rhythm patterns are so hard because it's not defined. It's not one, two, three, one, two, three. It's all over the map. And you've got to know that feel because it's all played on feel. And you've got to really kind of dive into that and get in that, that mindset to play it right. You got to hit it hard. That's what Malcolm did. He hit those things hard. He's right. not strumming. He's killing it there. Right, right, right. You know, and and what is what I love about music and all these albums on this, you know, sixty four that we did is every approach is different. You know, the Rush approach is different than the ACDC approach. The Zeppelin approach is different than Pink Floyd, and so on. That's what makes music so awesome. That's what makes rocks, you know, I mean, when you, when you know that the Zeppelin Zeppelins, the stones, the Beatles and many others were all influenced by the same people yet. Right. They sound completely different. You know, that, that is, that is like the, the question that I will always be searching for the answer is how does that happen? Like, how do you put, you know, Muddy Waters, Buddy Guy, Chuck Berry, whoever, and you put three bands in three separate rooms and they all come out sounding different? That is that is well, amazing to me. And that's that's human beings, right? You take everything you've absorbed, everything from your whole life, right? Everything you've heard, everything you feel, and that's what you bring individually. And then you put those four or five people together and they take their collective experiences to create something new, it's always going to be different. Even if it's derivative, even if you're trying to sound exactly like somebody else, like Airborne sounds a lot like ACDC to me, but they're still different. They're still their own thing. You know? So no, it's to me, music is the most human of art forms because you can't put 20,000 people in an arena to stare at the Mona Lisa for two hours, right? But you can put 20,000 people in in an arena to put their hands up and sing the songs that they've loved since they were kids and do it together. Nothing brings people together quite like music. And it's more so than sports because obviously there's two sides 
on a, on a sports in a sporting event, right? Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Yeah, I, I, and everybody, for the most part, might be similar, but those twenty thousand people with their fists in the air may be a little bit similar, but they're all feeling something different. That's right. You know, they're all connecting differently to the music and what it means to them. You know, I I, I was at a a Rival Sun show, who I love. Rival Sons is fantastic. Uh, at yeah. the Vic Theater in Chicago. Uh, gosh, when was it? Um, I don't know if it was the end of last year or beginning of this year. The whole time, the whole mind fog with uh, with COVID, you know, really screws with like your memory. But I was at this show and a guy, there's a song by them called Jordan. And it's a song about loss. Okay. And this guy and the whole crowd is silent because they're listening to this moving song. And this guy yells out, I love you for writing this song. This song to me reminds me of my mother. And oh. like, I looked at the guy and I'm like, cause the guy was kind of acting kind of like a buffoon prior to that, you know? Okay. And I looked at him and I had a whole new, a whole new, like, appreciation for who this kid was and how he connected to that song. It was amazing. It's amazing. And how could you not love someone that's connected with a song like that? Because it reminds them of his mother who's no longer with us, you know, just amazing. Yeah. And I, and, and, and that like defined that whole night for me, like that whole experience, which was probably about three seconds was like, man, that blew me away. That whole performance because of that blew me away. That's cool. That's great. I'm glad you got to see some some shows come around again. You got to see Mammoth. You got to see Dirty Honey, who I'd love to see. You know, that's that's awesome, man. It, it's finally starting. I mean, look, it, London and England in general, we were a lot more locked down yeah. than you guys were back home. You know, and I, so I I moved here in 20 what was that 2019. I said, all right, next year 2020. Now that I got my bearings, I'm going to go to a lot of shows, man. Some classic shows, some stuff I've never seen before because everybody comes to London. And I bought a dozen different shows, tickets, thousands of dollars worth of tickets. And one by one, they all got yeah, canceled yeah. or they got pushed back or whatever. But finally, now we're starting to see them, you know, and on Thursday, I'm sorry, on Friday night, I saw the second to last ever Genesis show in the O2. Wow. Uh, and then tomorrow I'm going to see Simple Minds, uh, not a huge band that I loved, um, but they're bigger over here than they are back home. Great band. Uh, and yeah, they yeah, and they had a theme song to a to a movie shot in uh, in Chicago that was awfully important to people of our age back in the day. Yeah, the movie Breakfast Club was filmed at Maine North, and I went to Maine West. So no way, really? Yeah, so there's a bit of a connection, you know, with with my childhood because that they shut that school down because of enrollment. So now there's there's still is Maine East, Maine South, Maine West, but there's no more Maine North. But we get to see it every time we watch The Breakfast Club. Wow, I did not know that. I thought it was yeah. Schumer, Illinois. <laughs> well, Sh- uh, Sh- uh, was it Schumer, Illinois? There is a street, but Schumer, Illinois does not exist. Gotcha. That's so that was um, that was reasons. John Hughes's uh, uh, little calling card. He would always things would take place in Schumer, Illinois. I think. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Home Alone takes place in Schumer, Illinois. It looks like it takes place in Lake Forest, but if they call it Schumer, that's okay. Yeah, no, the actual the actual house is in Glencoe. Okay. Glencoe, Illinois. But, but yeah, a little so, bit of John Hughes history here for our fans. Um, I can talk John Hughes for 
couple hours as well. But, uh, but yeah, you know, Simple Minds, they, I mean, that was an anthem. I mean, you, you don't hear that song without seeing Bender put his fist, foot, uh, fist in the air at the end of the movie. You can't get that image out of your head because of that song. No, and I, I listened, I watched the movie hundreds of times when I was, I don't know, 13, 14, 15 years old, something like that. What's fascinating is they have the Simple Minds, a couple dozen top 40 hits over here. Whereas back home, they have that, maybe Alive and Kicking. A lot of people might know that one, but that's it. The other thing that's fascinating about that is that song was on the Breakfast Club soundtrack, but it was not on a Simple Minds record until they did a Greatest Hits thing like in the 90s. Really? So I didn't know that. You, you had to buy the Breakfast Club soundtrack to get that song. I don't know if it's like they didn't want it on one of their albums. Because I would think once it was in the movie, it was kind of a hit. I, I just throw it on the next Simple Minds album whenever that came out. Uh, but they, they chose not to do that. And, and so for a long time, the only way you could get that song was on the Breakfast Club. You know, Journey did something similar. They had Ask the Lonely, which I think was on the Two of a Kind movie with Olivia Newton-John oh, and, and, and uh, John Travolta. And then they had Only the Young, which was, I think, Vision Quest. That's right. That's the one I was thinking yeah, of. Yeah. yeah. And they didn't have – those albums were supposed to be on Frontiers, but they decided not to put them on Frontiers. I think, if you want you know, you know, album conversation, if those two songs are on Frontiers, that album Ooh. is just as big and recognizable as Escape, in my opinion. I- I, you may be onto something there, and I'd never thought about that. That's a rabbit hole we could go into sometime for sure. Yeah, because the second side, the B side of Frontiers, is very, eh. You know, if they had those two songs, I think there was a song from Tron that was on there too as well. Um, Only Solutions, which I think was on the Tron uh, uh, soundtrack. So if those three songs, they were all recorded during the Frontier sessions made it on that album, it's a totally different, it's, that album is thought of in a completely different way. Completely different way. I think you're onto something there, Jay. I think, I think you got something to hold on to there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but no, there's, there were some other bands too that did that. I think to me, the best two closing credit songs in an album, in a movie are Don't You Forget About Me, Simple Minds. Absolutely. And for me is in the city by Joe Walsh at the end of warriors. Wow. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, I know, uh, the, the ladies like, uh, cause we're still on the John Hughes thing here. Of course, don't you forget about me is incredible. 16 candles finished with a song by, I think it was Thompson twins. Uh, called if you were, I think it's called if you were here, at least that's the refrain. I, you know, I didn't know yeah. it that well. The girls love that picture. It's got Anthony Michael Hall, and it, it, it's a classic John Hughes picture. But he just had a knack for that. He he knew how to use music, even planes, trains, and automobiles, which wasn't a teenage thing. You know, he knew how to put the right song in the right place. He, he always it was did. a gift that he really had. How about the blues scenes in Weird Science with Anthony Michael Hall? Was it Weird Science or was it? Yeah, I think it was Weird Science, where he's at the blues That's club man. in Chicago. Let me tell you my story, man. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Last year. That's <laughs> no, brilliant stuff. Yes, <laughs> totally, totally. Oh, I could talk forever about the music from those movies. Um, and final thoughts. As you, uh, as you are named Le Champion, 
of the, of the, uh, of the bracket challenge. Um, what album do you feel should have been on here that wasn't and why? Yeah, again, that's tough. I mean, I, I would have taken Tommy over Quadrophenia. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about that earlier. I, I would do that just because it's, it's more my favorite. And it was, you're going to take a rock opera. That's the first one. I mean, there is no Quadrophenia without Tommy. Mm-hmm. So I probably would have, would have taken that. It, it, it's easy to go through some of my personal faves to take some of these out. Um, and, and you don't have a lot of live albums on here. You have some, but, but not too And one, one live album. Kiss Alive. Yeah. Kiss Alive. You know, that's it. And, and obviously there's some others that are big to me, like Alchemy, Dire Straits. Um, and, and there's some uh, others that maybe were big sellers on there. But look, I, I think you did an incredible job here uh, with these. Yes, not all these are my favorite. And yes, I'm like, how could you leave off? Uh, you know, you could go. But you, you had a good rule to keep it to two for the bands. Because look, the Beatles, the Stones, The Who, like you say, Pink Floyd, a lot of people, Rush, you could have put a bunch on here as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I, you did a great job with it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I was just, I was shocked that I won because I'm like, an hour later, I'm like, I did this all wrong. There's nothing right about this. You know, can I do another one under a pseudonym and see what he, what he thinks about that? But it, it's fun, you know, and it's subjective. But we've all gotten our opinions, and if it's going to start some conversations with some rock fans, um, uh, it's all worth it. It's it's good cause. I agree. Yeah. Live albums were difficult. I, I wanted to include a few of them on there. Uh, Rockin' the Fillmore, you know, by Humble Pie. Strangers in the Night by by UFO. UFO. Uh, yeah. What was another one? Frampton Comes Alive. Of course. You, you know, and it's like, man, that's a whole whole different can of worms if I do that. So I wanted to limit it to one. And I think for me, in my opinion, the, the live album that is so definitive of the seventies was kiss alive because sure. after, after that, every band was putting on a live album, you know, everyone wanted to do that and capture that, you know, that moment. Absolutely. Well, Hey, March madness, 2023, maybe you've got your, uh, your subject, you know, greatest live that's albums ever Four live albums. That's going to be tough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the first round might be easy, uh, but after yeah. that, you know, we'll see yeah. how it shakes out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That, that might be a, a potential. Yeah, that's a good idea. Well, Mac, it has been a joy to have this conversation. Thank you very much for doing this. I, I, I really appreciate it. Great, great talking music with you. We got to do this again. No, I appreciate it, Jay. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, and Action Jacks and I would love to have you on our show sometime and we find the right record or something that we can all get into and, and take a deep dive sometime, man. We'd love to have you. Absolutely. Tell everybody where they can find you and where they can listen to you. Yeah, so uh, you can get us you can get us anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, you know, uh, I think a- Apple and Spotify and Amazon and Good Pods have been really good to us lately, so those are all great spots. But the number one place to find us is on Twitter, and I'm at ugly underscore werewolf. Uh, and if you want to DM us, send us, hey, which albums, which concerts, which DVDs, which bands you want us to review, send it our way. We'd love to hear from you. Great talking with you, man. Thanks, Jake. Have a great week. Everyone, that is Mac from the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Check it out everywhere on every platform. They are also part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Great conversation, great podcast. Follow Mac, as he said, at ugly American underscore werewolf 
I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks. Take care of each other. Stay safe. We'll talk soon. Thanks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.